Well, good morning, church. Good to see you this morning. Good to be with you, as always. Uh, appreciate you uh, so much. Glad to, glad to see a few of uh, folks I know here this morning. I wish Lisa, my wife, could be with me. She's in Michigan today. And uh, we, we've had our fourth, our son had his fourth boy. So um, after three boys, our family was betting. I mean, we are Baptists, so our family was betting. Some of you didn't get that at all. That's okay. Um, our family was betting that it was going to be a girl, right? I mean, that's the logical choice. Three boys, next one, bound to be a girl. But uh, no, they need to always listen to Papa because uh, I, I told them it was going to be a boy, and it was. Out of 11 grandkids, I've been wrong twice. So um, she's there, and uh, my son, who's 35, an executive pastor in a church there, and uh, he baptized our 8-year-old this morning at, uh, at their church. So she sent me the video earlier this morning. That four-hour time difference is uh, getting her. Uh, so it's good to be with you this morning. wish it could be under different circumstances, but I just want you to know I, I sure do love my brother Al and his wife Sandy and their family, and uh, I'm glad to be able to hear to share God's Word with you today. Well, open your Bible if you have a Bible there. If not, I'll be reading from Psalm 56. I've never preached from this verse, Psalm 56 and verse 8. We'll look at verses around verse 8, Psalm 56, verse 8. I've referenced this verse many times over the last, oh, I guess 35 years, but I've never really preached on just this verse until today. This is a first for me. Uh, you'd think after a guy preaches for 35 years, he, he wouldn't be able to find anything in Scripture that he hadn't preached on, but I hate to tell you, there's tons of stuff. You could be in ministry 200 years, and there'd be tons of things in the Scripture you could never even touch. There's so much good in God's Word. And um, if I were to just say to you this morning, this phrase, a bottle, a book, and a Bible, what would you think? A bottle, a book, and the Bible. Would you think it was a country song, maybe? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not. Uh, it's, it, it kind of characterizes what, uh, what David, uh, the psalmist here, is talking about. And um, I first just want to kind of set the tone for you here. If you looked at maybe some of the heading there in your, in your Bible, it would probably, might say something like my heading does in my Bible, uh, prayer for relief from tormentors, you know. And, um, and, and this was what was going on in David's life at this time. Most scholars believe that David was probably under 30 years old when this was happening to him. So it wasn't like uh, David was, uh, you know, getting up there. He was under 30 years old when, when this happened. He was being chased by the Philistines. And uh, his enemies were upon him and capturing him. And, of course, uh, they tormented him. And the Philistines were, man, they were some pretty rough folks. And, uh, and the arch enemy of Israel during David's time, much of his life, and so they're, they're chasing him to capture him and hunting him down, literally. That's the verbiage we would use in our culture to understand what was going on with David and the Philistines. They literally were hunting David down. And David turned to the Lord in this psalm and wrote this psalm 
uh, because there was so much distress in David's life. There was uh, so much intense pressure going on in David's life. And, and as the Philistines pursued him and hunted him to capture him, there was all of this sorrow and this grief that was coming into David's life. Well, I, I've got news for you. That's really not much different than the world you and I live in today. There are many things in this world that are after us. Amen. There are powers and principalities every single day that are hunting you. I like to think about us Christians. I, I like to fish even though I don't get to fish enough or hunt enough. But I, I used to go down the Russian River. Any of you still do that battle down there where you're about three feet apart, you know? Um, you, you go to the confluence, right? The Russian and the Kenai meet, and you've got uh, the confluence there, and when the fish are in, guys are about three or four feet apart. I've literally seen guys with, uh, uh, that would have a fish on and, and, and be jerking that fish and that weight come back, hit them right here, pop them in the forehead, and they just kind of go down in the water, and the two guys beside of them would drag him up to the bank, and somebody would take his place. You know, I mean, I've just literally seen that kinds of stuff happen down there. Uh, and, uh, and, and it's, it's just like they're holding. All those fish come to that confluence, and they just hold right there while we on the bank fish them out of there. Well, I think that that's what often happens in our lives as Christians. We're just kind of on hold. We're just living life, and uh, powers and principalities are on the bank of our life and just fishing us out uh, because we're just at the confluence of our life. We don't know whether to go upstream or whether life has taken its toll on us, and we're just there at the confluence resting because we don't want to face the resistance of getting upstream where we need to be. And, and you kind of get that sense with David here as he writes this psalm. You get this sense that, that David is so full of sorrow. He's so tired. He's, he's so worn out from being hunted and trying to escape uh, all of the stress. And he's under such intense grief. Um, not much different than the kind of sorrow and grief that you and I face in life many times. And this week is one of those, of course. And... Um, and here's what David says in verse 8. Uh, we'll back up and look here in a minute at a few of these other verses where David is talking about how he's afraid. And yet, even in the midst of his fear, he says to God, I will trust you. And, and, and he mentions this multiple times in this psalm. It's a short psalm. It's only, you know, 13, what we have, verses but there are at least uh, three or four times where David mentions that, that uh, he's afraid. How we know that? Because he says, I will not be afraid. That's how we know he's afraid. He says, I will not be afraid. I'm, I'm rejecting fear. I don't want to make my decisions based on fear. I don't want to feel like this, uh, afraid. And the only thing I know to do uh, to cast that away from me is to trust in you, Lord is to turn to faith. And, and all of a sudden, David gets down to verse 8. And you begin to see the movement of a bottle, a book, and a Bible. You, you begin to see that, 
that uh, in this time of sorrow and, the, and in this time of grief, uh, that, uh, that just as God counts our steps, He collects our tears. There's so many verses of Scripture that talk about our tears. Maybe, uh, maybe this is why preachers don't preach much on tears and grief is because we're men. Most of us are men, and, and we don't like to think about crying. I mean, my generation, I just turned 60 this year, and uh, well, last year, the end of last year, and... and um, I want to tell you, in, in, in my generation, we were taught not to cry. Amen? I mean, us guys, I mean, big boys don't cry, right? And I'm a pretty big boy, so that means we don't cry. <laughs> you know, that's, what, that's what we were taught. Your sissy, your baby, if you cry, those kinds of things. But the Bible has a lot to say about tears, and it's pretty amazing. This is one of those unique passages where we can glean something about grief And here it is, verse 8, Psalm 56. David, wrestling with fear in his grief, in his sorrow, being hunted down by the Philistines, his enemy, and he says this to God. You, talking about God, you number my wanderings. Put my tears in your bottle Are they not in your book? Let me read it again. David said, You number my wanderings. Put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? It's interesting, uh, as David says this particular verse, when you read what David is doing and trying to to escape his tormentors and those who were hunting him down, um, he's talking about fear, being afraid. Verse 3, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. Verse 4, in God I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? You go all the way down to verse 11. In God I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. Do you see the battle internal in David? Do you see what's going on in him? Same thing goes on in you and me too. Amen. Don't look so pious like you're never afraid. Amen. Fear is a number one. Fear and feelings is a number one driver of choices in the life we live. Our feelings and our fears drive our choices every single day. And yet the Bible teaches us that what ought to drive our choices is not feelings and fear. I say feelings because out of fear, feelings help drive along with fear our choices. The Bible would say, no, faith and facts ought to drive our choices. Faith, I will put my trust in you, David said. You and I, I will put my trust in you, God. My faith in you and the facts, the fact that You are the original promise keeper. You always keep your promises. And you've made multiple promises to me. I get my identity from you. Not from me. Not from the world. Not from some uh, culture. I get my identity in Christ as a Christian. And so all of a sudden you begin to see David internally having this struggle. Trying to convince himself that I I, I don't need to be fearful. I need to be faithful. Amen. Man, what a lesson for you and me this morning. We don't need to be fearful of things that press upon us, that pull us apart, that hurt us, that 
I mean, life is full of that stuff. Amen? Have you noticed that lately? How, how full life is of the pushes and pulls that try to tear and rip you apart in this world. It's what drives people to do things that are not in their destiny or God's plan for their life. And all of a sudden, David is battling this internal sense of well-being. I mean, we kind of sang that this morning. It's well with my soul. I mean, David, his flesh was saying, it's not well with my soul. But his spirit was saying, oh yes, it's well with my soul. His flesh was saying, I am fearful and I'm sorrowful and I'm tired and I'm weary and I'm worn out. And I don't know what to do, and I'm in grief. And his spirit says, trust God, sing praises to him, be joyful. Man, it's a, it's a battle, right? The Apostle Paul talked about it this way, about the battle being between the flesh and the spirit, right? Every day, our carnal flesh and our spirit battling one another. Spiritual warfare every single day. You see that in the life of David here. So let's look at that verse. He says, you number my wanderings. You number. That's a, that's a great word in the Hebrew. It means that you literally count. Did you know God keeps track of a lot of things? Amen. I, I'm sure you know that. God keeps track of a lot of things. Um, we as people tend to keep track of a lot of things. But, but God keeps track of everything. And, and it's not like he has to record everything to keep track of it. He keeps track of it in, in the only way we can understand how God tracks everything is to, ha, is, to, is, to, is to use this kind of verbiage. He says, you number, you record, you count. That's what that word means, you number. You record, you count. And what does he count? The New King James says, my wonderings. Interesting word here. A better word in English, would be my misery. That's what that Hebrew word really means. The root word there means my misery. The, the, uh, it's as though he's saying, um, the circumstances of life that press against me. I try to lean into you, God, but life presses against me and pushes me away. Do you ever feel that way? Of course you do. We all feel that way. As Christians, we're trying to lean in life to Jesus. We're trying to lean into Him. And life keeps pressing us away like a strong, strong wind. It just pushes us away from leaning into Christ. I mean, that, that happens all the time, every day. It was so pressing on David that he had become sorrowful and he was filled with grief. And he didn't know what to do. And he's talking to God about how life was pressing in on him and how he was so sorrowful. And so he says, you number, you count, you, you record my wonderings. The circumstances of life have brought me to this point of misery. And I don't know what to do about it. I don't know what to do about it. But I know one thing, God, that, that you put my tears into your bottle. Out of my misery comes my tears. The theology of tears. Man, you ought to study. 
you want a good study, just, just look up all the places in the Bible where it talks about tears. There's a theology of tears. And, and when you think about tears, he says you put. The word there means that you arrange. It means that you collect it. And you arrange it the way you want to arrange it so that you are always aware of it. And, and, and what do you put? You put my tears. Uh, if you were to study tears, and you, most of you probably know this, there, there are actually three kinds of tears. There's the basal tear, which is going 24-7 in our eyes. Um, it doesn't go 24-7 in mine. I have to put eye drops in my eyes to keep my eyes moist. Some of you have to do that. Uh, I think it's from all those years of riding a motorcycle, you know, that wind getting in there. Uh, now it's the PAP machine, CPAP. Don't act so pious. Some of you are on a CPAP. That's okay. I just recently had to get on a CPAP machine so that my wife could get sleep and I could get rest. And uh, I'm waking up now. That thing is like, it's, it's like if you were to drive your car and then push the gas pedal all the way down. I, I think mine needs adjustment because I think my gas pedal's all the way down. I'm waking up now and it's like, holy cow, who put the fan in my face? You know, it's just crazy. But, but it's, it's, uh, it's, just, it's this amazing thing that takes place here when he says, my tears, the, 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 the tears, the, the basal tears, the, the kind of tears that continually um, cycle through our eyes and uh, they actually come, come down into our nasal cavity and go down into our throats. Why? It's why when we cry, we get a snotty nose. That's why, right? Um, and, and all of a sudden, you get this tear that's continually there to keep your eyes dry. I mean, I mean, wet and moist. And that's happening all the time. And what's interesting about that is that we have uh, actually produced about 5 to 10 ounces. That's a lot of tears every day in your eyes. That's a lot of tears. And then there's this, this second kind of a tear. It's the reflex tear. It's the, it's the kind when uh, you're peeling an onion. I was actually doing this the other day since Lisa's gone for a couple weeks. And, and I was peeling an onion. And, uh, man, I sliced that thing down. And it was a big white onion, big one. I was cooking some chili. And I'm starting to slice that thing. And all of a sudden, my nose is running. Tears are coming out of my eyes. And, you know, you're having to do one of these deals. That's the reflex or you, you, you get outside and a piece of dust or something gets in your eye. Um, when something irritant gets in your eye, then all of a sudden your brain sends this, uh, this code and this message to your tear ducts. And it says to those nodes in there, it says, wash it out. It's like going through the car wash for your eye, right? And, and it begins to wash the irritants out of your eye. And that happens just whenever we need it. Isn't it amazing how God made us? And, and, and we get this continual tear. Then we get this tear that washes the irritants out of our eyes. And then there's this, uh, uh, scientists and others in the research call it the emotional tears. These are the ones that, that pick up um, extreme frustration or sadness or joy or whatever it might be emotionally at a level that triggers the tear. And for some of us, um, 
that's different levels than others. And there are levels of frustration, sadness, joy, those kinds of emotions that we all feel that sometimes cause us to cry. Now, this is probably no secret, but women cry four times more than men. Did you know that? All the men are like, no, no, I didn't know that. No, honey, I didn't realize. I've never noticed that, right? Four times as much as men. I was talking to my wife on the phone last night. She said, what are you going to talk about? I said, well, I'm going to talk about your favorite verse. This is one of her favorite verses in Scripture. And and I said, "Uh, I'm going to talk about that verse. Uh, Never preached on it totally. And and I said, "Uh, did you know you cry four times more than me? And uh, she goes, oh, honey, I probably cry way more than four times. And I said, really? I said, because research says that for women and for men, um, because of the, the different chemicals and, and uh, different things, uh, the, the makeup, the chemistry of our bodies, basically, is why that takes place. And, um, and, and when, you, when you look at that, um, it, it's interesting because uh, for, uh, for women cry about 60, the average is about 64 times a year. Men, the average, is about 17 times a year. And I, I told her, I said, you know what? I, I don't cry 17 times a year. And I thought, oh, really, it was kind of more like, oh, I don't cry 17 times a year. It was really more like that, you know, in our conversation. And, and I was kind of thinking about that after I got off the phone. And I was convicted that, that I don't cry 17 times a year. I mean, I was kind of proud of that when I told her. Now I got off the phone, I spent a little time with God reading over this passage again. And I went, Lord, I kind of get that you're saying to me, I don't cry enough. And I just, I could just visualize him going, mm hmm. Mm hmm. That's what I'm saying. You got it. And I, I thought, man, I wish I had time to go back and look at all the, all this idea of tears and the shedding of tears because of the grief and the sorrow that comes in and out of our life. But you know, there were the best examples, Jesus, right? Jesus cried three times, this recorded for us. Lazarus, you remember that? His friend died. Jesus gets word. Remember what the Bible says? He wept. He cried. Tears. These weren't basal tears. These weren't reflux tears. These were emotional tears. 100% God. 100% human. Jesus cried over a relationship that had come to an end at that moment because he loved his friend. He cried. He shed tears. He, he cried over people. He cried a second time. You remember when? It, it wasn't just over Lazarus, but it was over a city. You remember that? Scripture says he's looking out over Jerusalem, and what's he do? He weeps. 
Because he sees people, sheep, without a shepherd. And he owns their lostness as the Savior of the world. And he knows that these people need a shepherd. These people need help. These people need a Savior. As he looks over the city of Jerusalem, and I just have to think, it's not in Scripture, but I just have to think in my own mind, because he is God in the flesh, that he, he saw past, present, and future when he looked at that city in Jerusalem. And, and there were tears. He wept. There was another time that Jesus wept, and and you might disagree, it it didn't just come from his eyes, it came from his whole body. And they were tears of blood. You remember that? Luke chapter 22, verse 44. It's interesting because uh, some of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they, they they don't share this same story But Luke, Dr. Luke, was a detail guy. And he wrote from detail. You don't get that in Mark, and Mark wrote for a different reason. Luke Luke wrote from detail, and and he says that in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was struggling, he, he takes the three that he'd been investing in out of the 12. He invested his whole life, really, as an adult in discipling these 12 so they could go reproduce themselves. And the results speak for themselves today, right, in Christianity. And, 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 and out of those 12, he poured himself into those three, and he takes his three best guys to the Garden of Gethsemane. Because, man, I want them to pray for me. I want them to encourage me. I want them to help me. And what do they do? They sleep. They sleep. Jesus goes. He meets the Father there. You know that story in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's interesting because he, 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 uh, he's struggling, right? Jesus, we see him under this intense pressure, intense pressure. In fact, the sin of the world, the Bible would say, he's bearing on his shoulders the burden of the sin of the world, past, present, future. Man, that, I, I can't even, I have no clue how to even imagine or understand what that even looks like. Do you? It's crazy. And he's struggling with that burden of sin and being the, the propitiation, the, the sacrifice, the offering, so that you and I could experience God's grace through our faith and come into a relationship with him. And, and he's struggling in the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and it's interesting because the Bible says, I think it's verse 43, you'd have to look. But I think it's verse 43 in Luke 22 where it says that an angel appears to him. And an angel strengthens him. This is the third time he's back praying to the Father and basically saying, not my will. You know, he's saying the first two times... Uh, He's struggling. Is there another way besides a cross? I mean, that's what he's asking God. He'll do whatever God wants. He'll submit to whatever the Father wants. He knows who he is. He's the Savior. He's God in the flesh. And and the third time he comes to the garden, you, you see a different response. He's like, okay, the angel comes, and the Bible says, strengthens him. Strengthens him. Why? Because the first two times he, <laughs> he's struggling. 
The angel strengthens him and now he prays. Not my will, but what? Thine be done. And an interesting comment from Scripture says that the agony, the grief, the sorrow, the pressure was so, so on him that his body sweat tears or drops of blood as of blood. His, his body bled, his body wept, not just his eyes, his whole body wept blood. The precursor to the cross where he would spill his blood. The final it is finished would happen right there a little later. And, 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 and getting back here, we know that Jesus, there, there are those three times where we learn something important about tears that I learned when I had that conversation last night. God, I don't, pr- I, I don't cry enough. I don't cry enough over people who are hurting, who are dying, who... I don't cry enough over lostness when I look over my city. I don't own it enough to cry. I don't don't cry enough when I know that there are people dying and going to hell. Somebody dies every three seconds. And many of those people are dying without a destiny and without an eternity grounded in Jesus Christ. Because they have no identity in Jesus Christ. And it's as though God has used this situation this week in my own life to say, Jim, you don't even cry the normal amount a man cries. I'm like, what? Jim, you need to cry more. You need to cry for Lazarus. You need to cry for Jerusalem. And you need to understand that Jesus' whole body wept on your behalf already. And so, when he says here, David, you number, you count, you record my wonderings, my misery, because he's so stricken with grief. And he says, I know this is what happens, God. You put my tears into your bottle. You put the tears I cry out of my emotional state of fear, of distress, of grief, of sorrow. God, you know me. I'm a man after your own heart. That's David, right? I'm a man after your own heart. But David was, just like you and me, perfect in his position, but sinful in his practice. And God was at work between his perfect position, his sinful practice, saint, sinner. And that's where the transformation gap was in his life. That's where it is in your life. That's where God's at work in your life and mine, conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. Not sinless, but surely teaching us how to sin less. My position perfect, saint. My practice sinful still in so many ways. That was David. That's you. That's me. And, and, and he says, there are times when I must cry. By the way, uh, scientists all agree that tears, when you cry, there it, it, it releases endorphins that are healing and uh, uh, that reduce pain 
And by the way, change our mood. That's why we have this old saying, right, to somebody. As, or somebody comes up and says, how you doing? They go, well, I'm doing better. Really good. Yeah, I just had a good cry. I'm feeling way better. Right? You ever have somebody say that? Yeah. People do that. And, and, and that's why, because there's this, uh, there's, scientists would say, not all, but most scientists would say that, that there is this uh, uh, chemical that's not good for us. There, there are things that are considered waste, that, that crying is one way to get that out of our system. It flushes it out. It's not just a relief, but it's a release. And we see this in Scripture. We see it here with David, who says, you put my tears in your bottle. By the way, bottle here is a word. We, we tend to think of bottle like, you know, glass bottle, something like that. This word means uh, skin. It, it means skin. So it would have been... In David's time, his visual would have been an animal skin, one of two things. It could have been an animal skin, or it could have been a piece of parchment. Because parchment was made from animal skin in David's day. That actually makes more sense than like a uh, wine flask made out of skin that is in the New Testament, new wine in old skins kind of concept that you don't put in there that Jesus talks about. Well, um, it, it really makes more sense for parchment. Have you, now some of you are way too young when I, you won't get this when I say, have you written a letter? <laughs> okay. Some of you won't even go, what? Some of you won't even know what a typewriter is. Okay. You only know what your phone and your keyboard on your computer or iPad looks like, but the rest of us remember when we used to write with our hand and a pen. I know, it sounds so ancient. If you go in some caves, you can see the drawings of people drawing. All right, I tell people that about their flip phone. I go, whoa, cool flip phone, man. I saw that in a cave last week when I was going through it. You know? I mean, that's, that's writing. And, and, uh, but have you ever written a letter, those of us who used to write a letter? And the, and the tears were on the letter. Have you ever done that? Have you ever cried on a letter that you wrote? We've probably, most of us who have ever written a letter have probably done that one time or another. I think that's probably more the better explanation of what David is saying. Why? Because, because he then says, are they not in your book? Are they not in your book? There, it, book literally means in the Hebrew there what it means to us in our English written record. It's the same understanding. He says, uh, are my tears not on your written record that you have recorded? In other words, you are always aware, God, of my misery. You are always aware of my struggles. You are always aware of my sorrow. You are always aware when I'm grief-stricken. You are always aware. It's, it's the equivalent of the New Testament, I will always be with you. Right? Go make disciples, the Great Commission. And, and he gets to the end of that passage, baptizing, teaching. And he says, by the way, I will always be with you. 
This is, this is that kind of a verse in the Old Testament where he's trying, David is trying to understand and he gets there. You know, some of us are, are external thinkers, right? Versus internal processors. Internal processors are people, and some of you are internal processors. You don't say it out loud until you've thought a lot about it. I'm an external processor. I'm a visionary guy. I'm an external. I say a lot of things, and, 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 uh, and, and it develops as I talk them out, right? So uh, people who are external processors need other people to talk to more than internal processors do. I think David was an external processor. I think David, part of what the Psalms are is David talking it out with God and arriving at some divine understanding that we now have recorded for us that tremendously helps us problem solve, that tremendously helps us understand life in so many different ways. And, and, and he says, are they not in your book? So here's, here's the thing about tears, about grief, about sorrow, about trying to lean in to Jesus and live that way when life pulls us apart in so many other ways and creates so much distress and sorrow, sometimes at levels that allow us to live life but are on hold at the confluence of the Russian and Kenai River of our life while powers and principalities are on the bank fishing us out. Sometimes that's the case. And then there are other times like this week where tragedy occurs. And it, and, and, and it renders us almost powerless. We can't function in normal kinds of ways. And the Bible would say, it would say four things. Listen to these four and I'm done. I know what you're thinking. Preachers always say that. The third time they say I'm done, they're done. Okay. Now these, these four things and I'm done. Here's, here's what is in this psalm that are, are what we need to do and recognize in response to debilitating grief that puts us at a standstill in life. The first one is, we talked about it, and that, and that simply is where we talked about David saying in verse 3, in verse 4, uh, and in verse 11, um, whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you. Uh, in, in God, I put my trust, I will not fear. Verse 12, uh, I mean uh, verse uh, 11, in God, I have put my trust, I will not be afraid. And, and, and it's simply, it's just simply this. Find a way to replace your fear with your faith in God. And you go, oh, oh, that's hard to do. Well, it is hard to do, but it's in your identity. It's part of who you are. It's part of what it means to be a new creature in Christ, to have that supernatural power and ability. You are a supernatural being. Did you know that? Because you have a supernatural God who lives in you. You are not just some average person who lives in this world when you know Jesus. You are a supernatural person. 
Because you have the Holy Spirit who indwells and empowers and encourages and convicts and counsels and the list goes on and on and on. And you and I have the ability, just like David said, to replace our fear with faith. It is to say, I choose to trust in you and not be afraid. I choose to have faith and facts Drive my decisions, my thoughts, my actions, my attitude, not my feelings and my fears. There are things that happen, like has happened this week, that make that a journey, not just an event. Sometimes things happen in our life, and we get there, there meaning Not having feelings and fears be the driver of our decisions, attitude, actions in life. But having faith and facts drive those choices. Sometimes it's just that simple where we go, Okay, God, I'm done with that. Faith and facts are driving this decision. But something like this this week is not that easy. It's a process of getting there. It's a journey but you can do it. You can do it. And, and, and sometimes all we need is the, you can do it speech. Right? <laughs> you can do it. Right? We just need that from somebody else who wraps her arm around us and just whispers in our ear, you can do it. Right? There's a support system of people. There's a support system of God. There's a support system of the Holy Spirit. There's a support system that God uses to get us from there to where we need to be. So the first thing is you've got to, you've got to find a way, whether it's an event or a journey, a process, to replace your fear with faith. I'm going to trust in you, God. That's not going to dominate my life. At some point, I'm getting back to where I need to be with you, walking by faith. So the second thing is, is look what, what David says in, uh, in verse 9. He says, when I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know because God is for me. Here's number two. You just have to know God is for you. I know that sounds so cliche. I know that sounds so, well, I know that. I've heard that before. But do you really believe that? Because David did believe it. You see, God really is for us. He's not against us. And you and God are a majority over anything. That's the great thing, isn't it? That, that, That me and God are a majority over everything is the great thing. And that's why we can do it. And so... That's number two, is know that God is for you. He's not pulling for you. He's not just pulling for you. He's not like, it's not like God's on the sideline cheering you on. That's the saints up there in that cloud that so surrounds us that Hebrews talks about. God's not, God's not in the stands cheering us on. He's deep into your life walking right beside you, never leaving you, 
never forsaking you, always by you. He's our friend who sticketh closer than a what? Brother. Man, that's close stuff. That's intimate stuff. It's like every step I take, he takes. And then sometimes he has to take a step and I have to take it. That's what David is saying here. And you and I can only get through some periods of time in our life when we just refuse to be afraid anymore. When we just refuse to feel this way anymore and we just set the standard and say, God, I don't know how yet. I don't know if this is going to work, when it's going to kick in, but I'm just going to choose to have faith in you. I'm just going to trust you. And then, number two, because I know you're for me. I know you want your best for me. I know you have your best for me. I know you have a path for me. I know you have a destiny for me. You are for me. You're with me. You're not cheering me on out there. The saints are. Thank you, God, that they are, but... But you're right here with me. That's what David captured. How he was getting through his grief. Here's here's number three. Look at verse verse, verse 12. Vows made to you are binding upon me, O God. I will render praises to you. Praise God even when you don't feel like it why because he deserves our praise what's the bible say about praise it says that he what he inhabits the praise of his people there's something to the saying fake it till you make it there's something to that saying it's It's the opposite of a liar telling lies so long they actually believe it themselves, but the concept is true. Praise God from whom all blessings flow, even when you don't want to. It's amazing when you just start praising God, what can happen, right? We praise Him for who He is. We thank Him for what He does. So we're not talking about just thanking Him. We're talking about recognizing Who He is. He is God and He is the God of my life. He is the God of everything that exists. And and He's my friend. Holy cow. That's pretty amazing stuff that God is our friend. No one more important in all existence than God. And He knows me and I'm His friend. And we have a relationship. I'm part of His family. And the list just goes on and on and on. Holy cow. No, holy God. Here's the last thing. Verse 13. So you praise Him. Verse 13. You, for you have delivered my soul from death. Have you not kept my feet from falling? It's a rhetorical question. Have you not kept my feet from falling? Why? That I may walk before God. Do not let the circumstances of life that create so much sorrow and grief that presses down upon you make you not walk with God, but quit God. Listen, quit hamburgers, but don't quit God. Amen. Quit sodas, but never quit God. 
There are a lot of things we need to quit in this life, but God is never one of them. And I can't tell you how many people I I come across these days who call themselves a Christian, but when I talk to them, you know what they've done? They've let life press in. They've let sorrow come. They've let grief happen. They've tried to lean into Jesus. The resistance of powers and principalities have pushed them back, and they blame people instead of powers and principalities, and they quit God. A bunch of them aren't in your church anymore because they quit God. A bunch of them aren't anybody's church anymore because they quit God. A bunch of them aren't praying these days because they quit God. Don't quit God. Because tragedy is not God's fault. God is the one who comes into our tragedy and helps us get through it. Not around it. Not turning away from it, but through it. Through it. And there's no doubt that God somehow, I don't know how, but He always works out things to our good. Hard to see that right now. Especially if you're the Weeks family. It's hard to see how God could ever use this tragedy for good, but He will. Might be hard for you as a church to see how will God ever use this kind of a tragedy and the grief that we're in at different levels. How will God ever use that for good? I don't know, but I know He will because I trust God. He's already used it in my life. I, my son had a conversation with Pastor Al, and I can't tell you, Pastor Al, how encouraged he was after that conversation with you. Our native son, Chris, who struggles in recovery, who's a Christian. We had an hour conversation last night about your conversation in connection with him. And his faith is so strengthened by that conversation. Unbelievable. I couldn't believe it. It's like talking to a different kid. I don't know how God's going to use this tragedy in your personal life, in the life of your church, but he is. He will. Because he does. He has a history. He has a track record of doing that very thing. Would you bow your heads with me this morning as we end our time together? Maybe you're like me. Maybe you just recognize that you don't cry enough. By the way, when I ask my wife, well, how many times do you cry, you think, a year? And she goes, honey, I cry almost every day. I went, really? And I went, how can I be so unaware that my wife cries almost every day? And I said, why do you cry every day? And she goes, well, it's a movie I watch. It's a song I hear. It's a scenario I see played out. It's a person I pray for. And she just went down the list. I'm like, wow, I need to think more. (laughs) I need to think more. Because tears are good. God is in the midst of our misery. Never, ever forget that. And maybe this morning, the worst misery in all of human existence to be in is this kind. Not knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And if you, if you are in that scenario this morning, I want you to know you are in the worst misery. You see, physical poverty is not the worst thing in the world. Spiritual poverty is. 
having no relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Maybe you're 8, 18, 80. I don't know this morning, but I don't want you to walk out of here and walk into eternity whenever that is and be so surprised that God is real, who He says He is, and that there is a total separation of great distress and pain when you don't know Him for all time. And the good news is this this morning. You don't have to. This morning you can settle that today. You can settle that. You can place your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ this morning as the Savior of the world. The only one, not one of many, the only one. The only way. And this morning... You can do what I did 36 years ago at 5 o'clock in the morning, never reading a Bible, never seeing some prayer to pray. I just got down on my knees and I just said, God, I believe that stuff I'm hearing at church about the dude that died on the stick. I believe for some reason what that preacher up there said, that God loves everybody in the world, that includes me. I believe what that preacher said about, he called it the gospel. Jesus died for our sins to pay the price for our sins because we cannot do that ourselves. And for me to have a personal relationship with him and be in the family of God, I need to say yes to him. Yes, yes, Lord. We sang that. Yes. Yes, Lord, I want to be your follower. Yes, Lord, I'm a sinner. Yes, Lord, I need you as my Savior. Yes, Lord, I'm giving my life to you today. Yes, Lord, I am so sorry for my sinfulness. And yes, Lord, I receive you as my Savior. If you've not done that, today is the day to do that. Would you bow your heads with me right now? Let's pray. Father, in this very moment, there may be someone here who needs you. Because the worst kind of misery that multiplies misery is not knowing you and not having the supernatural ability to navigate this life when it throws a monkey wrench at us, when it, when it does things to us to drive us to grief and sorrow beyond our capability to deal with. And so this morning, Lord, we pray right now that that, that person or those folks would just say yes to you. Right now, they would just say, God, thank you for loving me. God, thank you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for me. God, I place my faith and my trust in you and what you've done through Christ. I'm sorry for my sin. I want to follow you. I give my life to you now. I ask you to come into my life Forgive me of my sin. Thank you that you do that. You've done that. Help me to follow you now. Lord, we also pray for our church here at First Kenai. For the Weeks family. For others who, who knew Jared well. We, we pray, God, that you would work all things to good. We pray for Jared's dad. We pray for his family. We pray, God, that you would use this to somehow speak truth into their lives. 
Lord, we thank you that you are God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's stand.